Mand. We'll turn now in your copy of God's word to Mark 12. Mark 12, verse 1. And Jesus has a parable for us today. A parable is one of those biblical stories that has a spiritual point. Using a familiar uh, illustration to communicate an eternal truth. And if you're just joining us at Redemption today, if whether you just happen to uh, you know, show up and you're checking us out or you're here to celebrate somebody who's being baptized, um, you should know that we've been walking through Jesus' life in the book of Mark for many months now. We've been going through it and we've been asking this question of the last several chapters of who is this Messiah? As Mark reveals Jesus, um, his uh, life and ministry, he's been showing us that this is a man unlike any other. He is the Messiah. And so now in these last few chapters here, Jesus is in the last uh, week of his life. And he is about to be confronted as he is just days away from his death by the religious authorities of that day. And I just want to be right up front with you as we uh, get into this parable. This parable today is about rejection. It's about rejection. And I, I wrestled this week as I uh, studied it and how to talk about it with us. And ask my wife as I was uh, processing and, you know, I pace when I process actually. Like I wear holes and things and sometimes I'm in here like doing, you know, like through all the aisles and stuff in here as I'm studying. But I was doing this on Friday morning as I was just thinking, how do we, how do we talk about this? Because none of us in here likes to be rejected, do we? I mean, maybe some are like, yeah, I don't mind it. You know, if you're in sales, you know, we experience it quite often. You're like, well, I'm rejected, you know, 20 times a day as I, you know, try to make different sales. But nobody necessarily likes it. Some of us are paralyzed by the fear of rejection. I was doing some study this week, and, you know, it's, it seems to make it on those lists. And no matter who's doing the surveying, that the fear of rejection seems to be somewhere on that list. And all of us have faced it, whether in relationships, all of us have faced it, whether in, uh, in our workplace, you know, we've faced some sort of rejection of being cast off of, uh, being even despised or hated. And yet in our parable today, it's about Jesus' rejection. It's about Jesus being rejected by men and so even as we talk about this, I just want to kind of put it out there because I don't want you to tune this message out in fear or to just steal yourself and, you know, and fold your arms in kind of self-preservation because you know the sting of being rejected. But instead, as we read the word of God, as we consider Jesus being rejected by the religious leaders, that here's what I would hope for us this morning. And for this, if you're taking notes, that you would stand in awe of the unbelievable plan of God. So don't reject it. Don't uh, steal yourself. Rather, stand in awe with me as the unbelievable plan of God is unfolded before us as we see how God in his infinite wisdom, how God and only he can do, uses Jesus' rejection for the redemption of his children. And so why don't you read it now? Hopefully you have your Bible open. I want to read this parable for us. Again, it's in Mark chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 1. Just listen and follow along as I read it. It says this. This is Jesus, and he says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. 
And he dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others. Some they beat and some they killed. Still he had one other, a beloved son. And finally he sent him to them saying, well, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. This is God's word for God's people. A startling parable, isn't it? It's a parable that has uh, some familiar themes uh, to those that were there. That's what I said just a minute ago, is that a parable would take a familiar illustration, a familiar circumstance, and use it to teach an eternal truth. And so even as I read this, there might be some things that are uh, maybe unclear about what is actually happening here and getting to the bottom of it. So uh, here on the screen is a chart that I hope is helpful for you to kind of explain who is uh, what in this parable. And so the owner, the man, is God the Father. The vineyard is represents Israel as a nation there, as God's people. The tenants are the religious leaders, those that Jesus has been talking to. The, tenants, or the servants, rather, are the prophets of old that God had sent to the people of Israel. And the beloved son is whom? Jesus, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. It is Jesus. So I put that up there. You can write it down if you want to just snap a picture uh, on your phone or something so you always have it. There it is. But uh, now that we have the characters, we kind of we see what is happening in the story and we uh, see the, you know, the bigger picture and the bigger characters that are at play here. Let me just kind of walk you through the scene for them. Cuz it may be unfamiliar if you don't come from a farming background or have some horticulture in your past, then maybe it's a little unfamiliar. But Jesus is here the kind of get the context. He's, um, he's just been challenged. His authority has been challenged by the religious leaders. And so he says this parable to them, one they would be very familiar. So a man, he planted a vineyard. And so you can picture that. He, he has a parcel of land, likely maybe in the north in the Galilee region. And he goes to plant grapes in this vineyard. And he puts a fence around this, uh, this piece of property. Likely what he had to do is, you know, take the rocks and, and uh, work the land. And then he used those rocks to outline the fence to keep out bad guys and to keep his, you know, his, his uh, vineyard contained here. And so I don't think when you think of a fence, you know, he's not like unrolling barbed wire or anything like that. Or, you know, he's not unrolling any electric wire. It's probably uh, sticks and stones type of crude fence. And so he builds it around it in the middle. It's, what does it say? He digs a pit for the wine press. And so as, they would, as the grapes would then come to fruition, they built this hole of vat where the, as the grapes were crushed, the juice would go down into the middle of it. And not only did they dig this pit, but they also built a tower. 
you know, a crude tower, probably not something, you know, we're not talking like a big, massive, you know, a thousand foot tower or anything like this, but enough for them to get up so somebody could post a lookout to see. Uh, It would provide shade for the workers and storage for the tools. And so very common. He built this up and then what does he do? He leases it out. This is a common thing there. Wealthy landowners would do this and they would lease it out to the tenants for a season. They would be responsible to work it and then they would get a piece of the proceeds. And so we're not told the, the, the terms that they came to, whether it's 50-50 or whatever, but he leased it to the tenants and then he leaves. And he leaves probably for somewhere in the three to five years. It says there in uh, verse two, this season came, he sent one of his servants. And so as a vineyard would be planted, just like, you know, some of these things, if you've gardened yourself, sometimes things just take a while to get established, right? My wife just got an avocado tree for her birthday and um, we're going to plant it. And in three years, we should have some avocados, Okay. <laughs> I I sure hope so. It's apparently a special kind that can grow here in colder weather. I'm kind of excited for it, but I have to wait for it for at least three years. And so this season goes by, and he does what? It is now time to harvest, and he sends a servant. And what happens to the servant? He gets gets beaten, right? Right? He gets beaten and sent away, and he sends another servant, and they, uh, they ramp it up. They hit him on the head. They treat him shamefully. They dishonor him in some way, and they send him away, and the, the, then the owner sends another one, and they ramp it up again. Not enough to beat them, not enough to treat him shamefully, but this person they murder. And one after another, verse 5, many others. After a while, like you're thinking, like, Man, I wouldn't want to be one of his servants. And if you got that assignment, okay, hey, you this week, go check on, go collect. It's season to harvest. And like, yep, remember what happened to all these other guys? I don't know. We're just, they sent one after another. Some they beat, some they kill. And he has one other, a son. And not just any son, but a beloved son. And he has this hope there in verse 6 that they will respect his son. But instead of respect, he is also rejected. Rejected through being killed and even dishonored, not even given a proper burial. But verse 8 says they just threw him out of the vineyard. Killed him and then tossed him over the fence with little regard for human life. And now a scene like this is familiar to the hearers. Yeah, it's as they would think about the farming and the vineyard and all that. The, you know, they're shocked at the treatment of the tenants of the servants. And yet they were familiar with scenes like this. The religious leaders, not only was it a familiar scene, but it was also a biblical concept for them. So as you read through your Old Testament, you'll begin to find that, uh, that the Old Testament writers liken uh, the nation of Israel to a vineyard quite often. That it, it, it's, a, it, it's, it's a common illustration of, of uh, who Israel was. And so the religious leaders, those listening, they, even as they heard this, I, a passage like Isaiah 5 could have come to mind. A passage like Isaiah 5. Let me just read these first few verses. It says this, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleaned it, cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. 
He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yield wild grapes. Does that sound familiar? It's almost as if Jesus is taking this. He's heard what Isaiah prophesied many, many, many years prior and is now telling these religious leaders, hey, this is what's going on. If you're any curious, well, who is the vineyard? He says in verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. That's Isaiah 5. And so now we begin to see here that this parable is getting more profound, isn't it? It's not just a, an isolated story uh, of a few prideful leaders. It's not just a, a, a teaching of something uh, that is uh, familiar to them there. But now we begin to see that we are in the midst of a cosmic, a grand unfolding plan of God. That as we stand here and we read this parable and as we've been thinking about the life of Jesus and now we're kind of taken back a little bit to uh, the Old Testament, we see uh, something is much, something much greater is at play. Something that was once dimly seen is now becoming more clear. What was once an event that was a, like a distant mountain on the horizon is now the peak upon which they stand. The beloved son would also be the rejected son, and he was here. The despised son, the despised and rejected savior, the one whom was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Isaiah says it also. Isaiah tells us that he would be rejected. Hear this, Isaiah 53, speaking of the Messiah, the one who would come, says this, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And so now we begin to see what Jesus is up to here. What God the Father is unfolding. It is an unbelievable plan. It's really quite mind-boggling too as we think of it. See, a king typically would claim their throne through approval, not through rejection. A king would gain his throne through conquering, not through himself being conquered and defeated and despised. And maybe that's why they missed it. Maybe that's why here as we begin to see the depth of this, of this parable. That it's not just a, a, a rebuke of a few uh, prideful leaders. That there is something cosmic happening. And we begin to see some more of the depth of what, what uh, Jesus is talking about. As he describes it. And then in verse 10 he's like haven't you read the scripture? And it's almost like well, haven't you read your Bible before? Yeah. Like, this should seem so obvious. And he quotes to them Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And he quotes that from them like, hey, this is a psalm that is familiar to you. A psalm that you have likely been reading and shouting and praying as you have come into the city at Passover. 
It is a psalm also that was quoted just a few days ago as Jesus was triumphantly entering the city. Remember that? As they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were quoting Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. And he's saying, yes, I come exalted, but before the king is exalted, he must first be rejected and beaten and killed. And so he draws their attention to this. It's another vivid picture for us, isn't it? It's a, it's a picture that begins to blow our mind when we realize what uh, the, the plan of God, the sovereignty of God to unfold this cosmic plan in the universe to, for the redemption of his people. He's using this building illustration. Now, maybe you're not like, hey, I'm not a farmer. I don't grow things. I don't get that. But I can build things. I do get that. You know, this is his concept. Uh, just the other day, I had to go to Lowe's to get some two-by-fours for my wife, some eight-footers. And you know, like any other skilled guy, when you're picking out some boards, you go in and take off the top of the pile, and he's laying them upright and see if they're straight, if, you know, they got a little dog leg in them. And if they do, you know, you toss them over. It's actually, like, is that a familiar thing to some of y'all? Yeah? And when you go into a store like Lowe's or Home Depot, typically the ones on the top, you know, they're all kind of just like scattered across, you know, like matchsticks across the top. And you know that somebody else before you has picked through them and they're all the rejects across the top, right? So you kind of dig down to the middle trying to find the straight ones here. What Jesus is saying is like, it's just like that. It's like taking one of the rejects and using that as, the, as your plumb line to build the whole house. That's what a cornerstone was, is they would build things. We think maybe in lumber terms, but here, I got some blocks here to kind of illustrate it. It's just some kid blocks, but the cornerstone was the block upon which they would build the whole house. And so if they would set that up and make sure that it was level and nice and even, you know, if it's kind of like, you know, if you get something under here like this, and then that's your cornerstone, and you begin to build things on it, you know, what is, happens as your house goes up? Yeah. It's all cattywampus, as they say, right? You know, and so they build it. And so the cornerstone is the most important one upon which the whole house is built. And it's as if Jesus came and he was the epitome of perfection, the cornerstone. And the religious leaders and others, they saw it and they were like, yeah, this one goes in the reject pile. We're not going to take that one. We're not going to take it. And they began to build it upon them, their, themselves, their own imperfections. And they built this system of religion that was based on their own doing. And yet God took the one that was rejected and built the whole house upon it. And beloved, only God could do something like this. Only he could work out the unbelievable plan of redemption in our lives on a cosmic scale to rescue his people. Only God would take an unbelievable story of, of rejection by men to redeem his people. And that on a macro level, that on a cosmic scale, that in all of human history, but so too on a micro level. So too in, on an individual scale, in your personal history, in your personal testimony. See, as you think about what God has done in your life, for you to be redeemed while you heard the gospel it is an unlikely story of God working out the details to come after his children, to rescue his sheep. And you know what is mind-blowing? You know what is so unbelievable as we read this is that God knew the cost and he sent his son anyway. Jesus knew the rejection and he came for you anyway. 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame. He knew, he knew everything was happening exactly according to plan. Do you see what Jesus did here? Do you know the circumstances of your own life? You, you know, we should be left in awe of what happened and what was accomplished. Yeah? Peter, as he's reflecting on this after the effect, after the fact in, in Acts chapter 2, he says that this was a part of the foreordained plan of God, the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. And as they were thinking of this, as they were considering what Christ came and did, that this was the plan of God, it says that they were cut to the heart. Are you cut to the heart this morning as you stand in awe of what God has done? As you think of your own life, as you see the work of God all around you? Or is the fear of man paralyzing you, causing you to walk away. You see the contrast here as we think about it, we can either be cut to the heart or as it says back in our parable, the response of the religious leaders, they hear this, they see it, they see it. And this is what is so mind-blowing. Look at Mark 12, verse 12. It says that they perceived that he had told the parable against them. And I would, I would love for it to say, and they fell to their knees and repented. left him and went away. They feared the people. They were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people. See, they feared rejection. They feared that the people, the crowds, the others, that they would be outed, that their, the ruse that they had established would, the, would be exposed, that their, that their, their teaching and their, their making this religious system a, you know, a financial enterprise for their benefit. They wouldn't lose their prestige. And they feared the people and not God, who's working all of these things out. See, the fear of man, the fear of rejection causes us to do all kinds of destructive things, don't they? We compromise at work. We say things to our spouse. We do things at school that we... You know, we know are wrong, but we, we fear what will happen and what our friends will say about us. It causes us to do all kinds of destructive things, including rejecting God and his ways. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story. See, to this point, as we've been going through it, I just wanted you to see uh, not only the specific details of the situation, but the overarching plan of God. To this point, we've just been standing in awe, considering the events of God. But I don't want us to just stand here in awe. I want us to do something. I want us to do something. We have to respond to it. And the parable really lays out our options like this. There's really two options. You can either embrace the unrelenting mercy of God, or you can face the unbearable judgment of God. The parable lays it out. Really, there's our options. Embrace the unrelenting mercy of God or face the unbearable judgment of God. 
And friend, I want you to see how relentless the father is in this. How the owner, how, who the man here, how he's coming for his people. He's coming to, to, rather, to collect the fruit that these tenants had borne. And he keeps sending servants, one after another, one after another. And we've already gone over what happens to each of those servants. And after a while, like you read the story, after a while, he sends all of these. And what do, you, what do you expect? Like, who do you expect him to send? Like, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, like, stop sending your servants and send the police. Send an army. Send somebody. Send send a vigilante committee if there's no like law and order around there. If they're beating people up. That you're you're being cheated out of what is rightly yours. Send the police and seek some justice. Finally, that's where the question comes in verse nine. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Somebody bring justice, and instead, he sends his son who in a way that only God could do would simultaneously bring both judgment and mercy. And see, God is like this. God is merciful towards us, towards his children, and sending many messengers time after time after time. And you might think of this as you read through your Old Testament. You go through the line of prophets, the line of messengers, those specially sent of God to the children of Israel to be God's mouthpiece to them. And this was their treatment. As you read through, many of the, 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 the Old Testament prophets, they were rejected time and again. Many were killed. John the Baptist being the most recent one, the forerunner to Christ. And what happened to him? He was beheaded. God in his mercy, because of his love for his people, continued generation after generation, year after year, decade after decade, to send his messengers until he sent his son. In your life, as you think through your life, God has sent you many messengers. He's used many people, pastors, friends, neighbors, grandparents, parents, whoever they might be, radio stations, songs, circumstances, to be his messengers in your life. His merciful message of saying, I am here. I have come to redeem. He sends many messengers to get our attention. You know, do you grasp this fundamental point here? Out of this whole story of what is happening, do you grasp this? That Jesus was rejected by men so you could be accepted by God? you grasp this? That Jesus was rejected by men so that you could be accepted by God. See, as we, as we just take a step back here, then just think of things in our life and in, in, in a cosmic sense here that we are rejected by God because of our sin. That God is pure, he is holy, and all who can come near to him must be the same, holy and righteous. We cannot get near to God. But through Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, being counted righteous because of what he has done, has brought us near. He bore our sin. He bore the wrath of God so that we could be accepted by God. So to reject Jesus is to be rejected by the Father and to face this unbearable 
judgment. But see, friend, God has sent many messengers, and I might be one of them today. I am one of them. Opening the word of God, telling you of the great mercy that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. That you can be known and loved by the Father. That you can have an eternal, hopeful future. That your life can be purposeful and mean something. But you must accept the Son. You cannot reject Him. You cannot reject Him. He is the one who is sent for you. And if you reject him, don't miss what it says here. What will he do? He will come and destroy the tenants. It makes us uncomfortable to think of that. And the same tender, meek, merciful God will be the one who will destroy the tenants and give it to others. Back in Isaiah 5, as he's talking about it, those, the, what, the vineyard, the vines that were to yield good grapes, choice grapes, that yielded wild grapes. And he says this in verse 5, And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. All of its protection gone. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that the rains will no longer rain upon it. That's destruction. So the choices are embrace the unrelenting mercy of God. A God who is, it doesn't say, I love how it just says that he sent many more. So God will continue to send many, 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 many your way. But there will come a time where it'll be enough. So don't wait. Christ is before you today. If you perceive that this is being spoken of of you, if the Spirit is at work in your heart, do not leave, walk away, but rather embrace the mercy of God. Heed His messenger in your life. That's what this morning is about. It's been my prayer all week to that regard. You know, and as we wrestle with this, it's kind of heavy. It should be. It's an eternal, there's eternal consequences at play here. What I love is about today and this passage and where we are is that today we get to hear six brief individual accounts of God saving his people. Amen. You know, each marvelous in our eyes. We'll hear six testimonies in a minute, uh, uh, each story where Jesus is the hero. Praise, praise God for the details, the people, the churches, the messengers, their obedience to respond to all that. But we get to hear six stories of God going after, of coming to his tenants who embrace the Son and embraced his mercy. See, Christ was rejected so that they would be accepted. In your life, Jesus was rejected by men so that you could be accepted by God. And this is the, this is the most glorious news. This is the most, this is the, what else could we say today but to praise God 
for sending his beloved son for his glory and our good. And so we're going we're gonna to get a chance now to celebrate some of those baptisms. But what I want us to do as we prepare there, as we've heard the word of God, is I want us to just take a moment and to pray. To pray and respond. Maybe you don't know and you're like, yes, Christ, I, I understand. I'm a sinner and I, I need you to save me. You pray that now. Maybe you are a believer and, you've been, and, and, and you stand on the other side and, and Christ has been sending a messenger still to collect in your life and you've been rejecting it and today realizing I need to embrace the Son. I need to walk in His ways. Let's use that. Let's use this time for that. Maybe today you need to just thank the Lord afresh for your salvation, for what Christ has done on your behalf. And so I'm just going to lead us in prayer, but I want you to just put... Put your own words together and raise your own voice and pray to the Lord your seat. I'm going to pray for us and then we will have some baptisms here. So would you join me as we pray now? God in heaven, here we are. Would you, uh, would you God, be um, by your spirit, would you hear the praises of your prayers, rather, of your people even now? call on you, God. We're calling on you. Would you, Spirit, be at work? It's amazing. It's amazing that you, God, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, and yet you hear our prayers. It's amazing that any of us could be saved. It's amazing that you would face rejection so that we wouldn't have to. Thank you, Lord. Hear our prayers in Christ's name now. God's people said, amen.